Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. I want, I want you guys to see this concept, foundations of the faith. <clears throat> when I was praying about the upcoming year, I was praying about the upcoming year when it comes to sermon prep and series prep, I kept coming back to this concept of foundations, how do I, building, like building materials. You cannot build a strong life, a strong building, a strong anything. You cannot build something strong unless it's firmly founded on a good rock foundation. Okay? And I just feel like this year, there are so many things, so many different things that you could try to build your life on. There's so much information out there. There's so much um, swirling uh, idea. There's just this, this thing of ideas and concepts that people are putting their time, their effort, their mental capacities into things that don't matter that are not going to help them to build something strong. Now, what do I mean by something strong? First off, your life. There are so many things that hit your life. We've we've experienced them over the last few years in in a little bit like an intensified, kind of a condensed version of it. And if your foundations are strong, then your life is going to be rocked by these things. I've had some personal things in the last few years that, you know, have tested my foundations, right? Other things, your family. Unless your family, if you, how many, any, anybody here, like, really, I'm really looking to have a weak family. I want my family to be super weak. That's my goal in life. No, nobody, nobody says that. Everybody wants a, a, a strong family. But how do you get a strong family? You have to build on good foundations. For some of you, this is going to be like, Pastor, this is like Sunday school from like when I was a kid. Yes, actually, I'm, that's where I'm going. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about foundations. And then for the rest, at least six months, I'm serious. Somebody laughed. I'm like, I'm serious. At least six months, we are going to be tackling foundational truths. Foundational truths. Um, And we'll unpack that a little bit more. But I think sometimes we can be, I know I do it, I can get so theologically carried away that I forget the very roots of what's important. And I can, you know what? You know what I noticed this year? I'm really good at majoring in the minors. When my focus should be on some of the major themes of Scripture. So, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11 says this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder laying, laid a foundation, and someone else built upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Take care 
how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The big idea for today and kind of moving into the next six months or so is this concept of understanding the nature of God and the work of Christ toward his fallen image bearers, that's you and me, is foundational to life and eternity. It's foundational for life and eternity. What, who is this God and how did Jesus reveal himself? I think some of the things we're going to talk about today may not be contemporarily palatable. Wow, that was not in my notes. Isaiah 53 says this, says, All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. This is foundational. This is a concept that we need to get into our heads. We have gone astray. We are sinners. Guys, listen to me. You're a sinner. Just chalk it up. You are. How are you? So, so the, the whole rest of this thing is, how does that not bite me? How does that not doom me? It's a good question. It's a good question. And interestingly enough, those of us who still think, who, who, who have the right answer, often practice very pagan ways of answering that question. There's three foundational aspects of our faith that I want to talk about today. Three. Okay? The first one is justice. Justice. Remember, at the very beginning of this conversation, that you, that I, were sinners. We just are. It says, all, all, we like sheep have gone astray. So justice is scary. Let me explain this to you. We often sing about this, and we're going to get around to that, so, you know, be care- don't, don't get too nervous. Okay, don't get too nervous. But we often sing about this concept of, of being, not being afraid. We talk about we have nothing to fear. And that's true, and it's absolutely untrue in the same sense, in the same way. There are things that we should fear. Okay, so what, what should we fear? What should we fear? Sin? Should we fear sin? Hmm. Sin is actually not something to be feared. It is just the means by which we come under the wrath of God. Sin is the means by which we come under the wrath of God. It is a pathway to be avoided, but it is not, uh, has no ability in and of itself to condemn. Sin, sin can't do anything to you. Sin is your state of living. It's a state of being. Okay? Sin is the natural state of the unregenerate human. That's who we are in our natural 
human state. Should we fear the devil? Some people are terrified of the devil. Did you know that? The devil is merely a created entity that is more, uh, ha- it is no more exempt from the wrath of God than you or I. You or me. He is the father of lies, and he has great power of deception and oppression, but he is not a match for the power of God. He doesn't actually condemn anyone. When you stand at the end of your life, you will not be standing before Satan, and he will not be condemning you. His job is to accuse you to the one who will be. He is the great accuser. He only serves to tempt and accuse. His end will be the same as all those who have rejected God. Eternal destruction. Like, Pastor, you are getting so heavy on first day. I was up late last night. I cannot handle this right now. It gets better. I'm bringing you way, way low. And then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna ratchet it up. Some of you guys are like, I can't tell if that's just the coffee hasn't hit yet or you're like, whoa. <laughs> Who should we be afraid of? God? Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, said this. The bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string. And justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of the uh, angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. It's just by the grace of God. Justice says, all we like sheep who've gone astray should be coming under condemnation. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So who are we supposed to be afraid of? God. What, pastor? Did you say that? Yes. Yes, I did. He's the only one who could condemn you. Satan doesn't condemn you. He can't do that. It's not his role. It's not his job. He has no power to do that. The only one who can condemn you is God himself. Let me read you a little bit about God. Um, I'm going to read it in a second, but I, want, I thought that C.S. Lewis had this amazing analogy. Okay? He says that most of us rightly think that God, think of God as our loving father. He loves us more than any earthly father ever could. But do you ever think of God as dangerous? Apparently, C.S. Lewis did. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Susan and Lucy ask about Aslan the lion, who represents Jesus Christ. And this is what C.S. Lewis had to say about Aslan. Ready? Lucy said, is he safe? And because it's Narnia, a beaver talked. (laughs) Beaver replies, who said anything about safe? 
course he's not safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Lewis continues, people who have, who have not been to Narnia sometimes think that a thing can, cannot be good and terrible at the same time. If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they just caught a glimpse of his golden mane and that great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes, and they found that they couldn't look at him and went all trembly. I like that. And they went all trembly. And our quest to know the living and true God. Here's the thing, guys. Foundations are this. We have to know God for who he is, not who we want him to be. Does that make sense? It, it, may, it has no value to you to make up a God of your own. That's called idolatry. And we still do it today. We do it in the church. In our quest to know the living and true God, it is important to know him as he has revealed himself in the totality of Scripture. If we just pick and choose the parts about God that we like, such as his love and grace, and ignore the rest, we miss something important that we need to know about God for our spiritual growth. This is the God that is written about in our Old Testament, and I want you to read it. I want you to look with me. Is, it, is this a reference there, Exodus? Yeah. Turn your Bible, Exodus chapter 19. It's a large, large section. And it says this. Now, this is after Israel has come out of Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt, did amazing things on their behalf, showed them just how much he loved them by rescuing them from slavery, and now he's ready, he's ready to reveal himself to his people, and this is what it looks like. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and, every, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp went trembly. They trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like the smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Is he good? Yes, he's very good. He just brought them out of Egypt. He just, he just destroyed Pharaoh's armies with his outstretched arm. But is he safe? Be careful. Don't take him too flippantly. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. And we're going to get into those in a, in a, in a, uh, a later sermon. But it's the Ten Commandments. In verse 18, it says this. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and the sound of the mountain and smoke, saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. 
They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. What are we that we should think to stand before him and whose rebuke the earth trembles and before whom the rocks are thrown down? Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Who are we? Folks, I love, love, love grace. But the only reason grace is so epic is because of the epic nature of who God is. Holiness matters. Righteousness matters. The things that you do grieve or make God happy. This is the God who sat on a mountain and it made it tremble and rocks were rent. He's the same God. Justice should be frightening. When you have committed a crime and you go before a judge and you await your sentence, that is not a fun moment. It's sober. We should be sobered by this. We should not sin flippantly because we are living in the age of grace. This is the God that we serve. It's foundational to understand his hatred of sin, his glory and his splendor, his awesomeness. This is the God that created the universe. And sometimes we treat him so familiarly. Is that a word? I don't even know. We just... eh. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of who God is. So justice. This is the judge we're standing in front of. This is the judge in whom we must give an account. And we are so... Ah. We're so thick. I mean, nothing new under the sun. We're still thick. We still we can we can be in the presence of God, and yet forget the thunder, and the lightning, and the earthquake. Let me give you a, for instance. While he is still up on the mountain, with all the smoke, with all the thunder, with the trumpets, and the earthquakes, they say, "Hmm, Moses has been up there for quite a while." I wonder if he'll ever come back. I got an idea. Let's make a God. Let's make an idol that we choose. And let's worship that the way we want to. And we look at that and we go, how is that even possible? How is that even in the, uh, the shade of God's splendor could they have done that? Guys, I'm just telling you, we do it all the time. 
In fact, I think on, the, in, on this side of the age of grace, we're even more familiar with God, and we've got to be careful. We take him too, um, <sighs> for granted. Familiarity often breeds contempt. And as we've become familiar with God because of his amazing, sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about it as such like a, almost like a mystical thing. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit of God in the church living in and among us. We should not take that lightly. It's a big deal. Yet that familiarity often causes us to be contemptible. So the second foundational thing I want to talk about today is, first one was justice. We have to understand that we are guilty before a holy and awesome judge. The second thing I want to talk about is repentance. Repentance. Psalms 111.10 says this, The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those, listen to this, this is cool, all those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. How do you practice fear? How do you practice fear? It's called submission. Submission is this concept that God is great and I am not. And I need to practice that. I am not God, he is. And I need to keep that perspective on everything. I cannot take him lightly. I do not want to take him for granted. He is God and I am not. And I need to practice that in my everyday life. So what is repentance? It's this act of submission, knowing that we cannot pay for our own sins. It's just throwing ourselves on the mercy of this awesome and holy judge. First, we must acknowledge God as the creator of everything, accepting our humble position in God's created order and purpose. We got we to know our place. He is God. We are not. Romans 1, 20 through 21 says this. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that he has made. Wow, that's a really great, what what a sentence, right? Wow, so much packed in there. So that, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They didn't practice the fear of God. That's what I'm saying. They didn't acknowledge him. They knew him, but they did not acknowledge him as the God that he is. They may have acknowledged him as some other thing, but not for who he is, not for who he has revealed himself to be in Scripture, so that they were actually serving an idol. And I'm telling you, folks, we can be guilty of that even in the church today. We need to practice the fear of God so that we are not darkened in our understanding and become futile in our thinking and have foolish hearts. Number two, We must realize that we are sinners and that we need forgiveness. None of us is worthy under God's 
standard. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a very familiar passage. All we like sheep have gone astray, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We got Old Testament, we got New Testament. Same God. Number three, if we remain sinners, we will die. However, if we repent of our sins and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will have eternal life. Wow, what a choice. It's literally life or death. That's it. You have one choice. Choose wisely. Reminds me of an Indiana Jones movie. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's that, that choice. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we, will, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But the scriptures say, you know, somebody might even die, might even die for a good man. It's not likely, but somebody might give up their life for somebody who's good. I think many, many of us would give our lives for our kids or give our lives for our spouse because we love them and they love us back and it's good. He said, but the difference between that and repentance for us is that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Number four. Understand your need for God's redemptive work and submitting to the God's grace through Jesus results in justification and salvation. Justice demands punishment. That punishment was exhausted on the person of Christ accepting his, his new covenant this idea of, you know, the new covenant in his blood is what we call repentance. Romans 10, 9 through 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's that choice. Death, life. That's how it happens. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's how it works. These are foundational truths. Justice must be had some way or other for you, for me. You can either accept Christ's sacrifice as the justice that you deserve, or you could take it on yourself. That's the choice. Repentance is this idea of saying, thank you, God, for who you are, that you, while we were enemies of you, you did something to save me. I didn't deserve it. I never could. I, I could never be good enough to deserve your... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, 
Mercy is a good one. Absolution. This concept of not having to pay my own debt. I could never be good enough to do that. The debt is too great. So I submit and I know my place and I repent before this great God. And I just say thank you. Which leads us to the third thing I want to talk about today. And that is grace. Grace. And I love talking about grace. But I have, you have to understand the, the height of the mountain of grace is only equal to the depths of our sin. Because we are so low here, God did so much to get us here. I mean, grace is, is one of those things that if we really understood who God is, the real God, the trembly feeling that we should get before this God, then grace becomes even more spectacular. It's when we think we're pretty good. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not that bad. I mean, there's other people, trust me. There's other people. Even the person maybe sitting next to me <laughs> that needs more grace than I do. Nope. Grace is amazing. Grace is this, the spontaneous, unmerited gift of the divine favor and the salvation of sinners and the divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration and sanctification. Grace is this concept of that God took what you deserved on the person of Jesus. He took it. Here's the thing. <laughs> we talk about, you know, Christmas is such a fun thing. Talk about the baby Jesus. Oh, he's so cute. In a manger, it's just this, you know, pageantry type thing. If you fast forward just about 30-something years, we see that baby grow up to be a man who took on the full force of the justice of God. Do you realize that your sin had to be paid for? It could, God couldn't just go because he's just, because he's, because that's, he's holy. He couldn't just go, it's okay. I'll let you off the hook. You're pretty good. Don't worry about it. I'm God after all. I can do whatever I want. So many people, is there anything that God can't do? Yes. There is things that God can't do. God cannot sin. God cannot allow sin to go unpunished because he's holy. So what he had to do is he had to, ex he had to extinguish his holy justice on the person of Jesus so that you and I could receive it. It was paid for in full in the person of Jesus. The spontaneous, unmerited gift of divine favor in the salvation of sinners. That's what grace is. Look at the posture of your God, this holy God, this mountain-trembling, rock-splitting, universe-breathing God. Ready? This is his posture towards you. Back to, we're going to go back to Isaiah 53, where we started. All we, like sheep, have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. Ugh, 
but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. But his knowledge shall be the righteous one. My servant, make many to be accounted righteous. That's you and me, to make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. That, my friends, is grace. Another translation where it says in verse 10 where it says, it is the will of the Lord to crush him. Another translation puts it this way. It pleased the Lord to crush him. That's his posture towards you. He was so in love with you that he was willing to put on himself the burden of your guilt. Wow. Wow. That's pretty awesome. This is what we call the substitutionary atonement. The substitutionary atonement. He took what we deserved so that we could get what he deserved. Wow. This is what all the ritual and regulation of the Old Testament was pointing to. All the stuff. (laughs) I mean, people have read through uh, Leviticus recently. All that stuff was pointing to this concept of the substitutionary atonement. We're going to get into it in a little bit, in in another week, but the concept of, the whole concept of the law was to wake us up to how much we needed God's grace. That's the whole point of it. The law was this concept to show you, show them, show us, that it's impossible. There's just too much we cannot do. We need something else. We need a substitutionary atonement. I want to read some passages to you pretty quick. Ready? Luke 1.50. And his mercy is for those who fear him for generation, from generation to generation. Wait a minute. Hold on. That's, that's in the New Testament. As we come into these next few verses, you're going to see this. You're going to see this concept of fearing God and the concept that you don't have to fear God. It's weird. This concept of practicing the fear of God leads to us not having to be afraid of God. There's a difference there. You fear God so that you don't have to be afraid of God. You practice fear of God so that you don't have to be afraid of this God. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has, uh, has to do with punishment, right? And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Think about that for a second. Without the love of God, we are underneath that fear. But when the love of God comes in, we don't have to be afraid of God anymore. 
2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. What does that mean? You don't have to fear God anymore, but you need to fear God. You need to practice the fear of God, but you don't have to be afraid of God anymore because of the substitutionary atonement from Jesus Christ. Nobody, no amens, nothing? Get the coffee going again. My goodness. This is, this is amazing stuff because of the grace of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be afraid of that mountain-burning Sulfur, trumpet-blasting, rock-splitting God anymore. It's pretty cool. He's the same God, but yet we relate to him in a different way now. Romans 8, 31-39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We kind of sang something about that this morning. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies justice. Who then is the one who condemns? That's a rhetorical question. If God has justified you, Who's left to condemn you? No, nobody. Remember, sin can't condemn you. Satan can't condemn you. Only God can condemn you. And if he decided not to, and you accepted the uh, substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, then there's no one left. That should thrill you to your core, folks. There's no one left. No one. That's the answer. The rhetorical question is no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Hallelujah. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? No. Shall hardship? No. A persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. Interestingly enough, it doesn't say you won't have those things. <laughs> it doesn't say you're not going to have some persecution or some sword or some famine. It just says those things can't take you away from God's love. There's nothing can separate you from God's love. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons Neither the present nor the future, 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 nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Perfect love drives out fear. God has not changed. He remains both good and terrible. In his justice and mercy. He has pr provided us with a rescue by unleashing his wrath on Jesus instead of us. This is the foundation 
Jesus gave us on which to build. This is the foundation that everything else we do springs from. We deserve death by a holy God. He expended his justice on Jesus himself, and Jesus extends, extends salvation, repentance, grace on us. Everything else, if we change those things, we're in big trouble. Big, big trouble. Those are foundational. And we are going to study the foundations. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Anything we build on top of this must be in accordance with these foundational truths. Truths. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 7.1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. That's that practicing of fear, right? He's still God. We still, we should, we still shouldn't hold sin flippantly, right? Bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. He's still the same God. His grace has covered your sins. And as Paul says, but that does not give us a license to continue sinning. Heaven forbid. This is the foundation that we need to build our, our thought patterns, our philosophies, our understanding of the world, our relationships with people. These are the thought patterns. We need this foundation or else everything else is just going to get blown away when the storms and the winds come. But if we have these foundations and we hold tight to them, neither, what does it say up here? For I am convinced that neither death, that's a big one, by the way, <laughs> death or life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation. That's a lot. These are foundational. Next week, we're going to begin a new series entitled The Power of Ten, To the Power of Ten, in which we will be tackling the foundational, the foundation of civilization, the very foundation of being a civilized community, a civilized people, a civilized person, as we tackle the Ten Commandments, Okay? I guarantee you, you're going to come out of this series going like, oh. Because I went into this preparing this, I'm like, oh. This is a lot more than just like, you know, the list on a wall. This is, these Ten Commandments are the foundation for civilized cultures throughout the world and all of history. They are key to us being civilized. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your truth. God, help us to have a holy fear of your splendor, your grandeur, your power. Help us never to take you lightly. You're not the man upstairs. You're not our homeboy. God, 
star-breathing, universe-creating life giver. Help us to remember that. Help us remember our place in all of this. That we are not God, and you are. That we deserve punishment. And we must repent and come under submission to the king of the universe. And by your great mercy and love, you extend grace. Grace that was paid for in the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and you extend to us freely. This should thrill us to our core because though you are a fearful God, we do not have to be afraid of you. You have made us sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus. So Lord, we praise you on this first day of a new year. Lord, bring us to higher heights than we've ever been in our relationship with you in 2023. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless. It's going to take you a few days to process that one. And maybe a nap. God bless. Have a great week. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org.